Hello and welcome to Econal Day Unplugged on Tuesday the 28th of April 2020. Mark Pender is stateside and I'm Jeremy Hawkins here in London. It would be nice to start this week with some good news, but at least on the economics front, that continues to be in short supply. Unprecedented record all-time and historic are now well-worn terms these days, and unfortunately, they invariably precede something to do with economic weakness. Proving the point, April's flash PMIs, which for many countries provide the first real guide to how the great lockdown is hitting national economies, made the already dire March readings look almost good. The three central bank meetings this week, and while the raft of policy announcements made last month may mean that investors are not quite as focused as normal, they could still yield some additional help for financial markets. Yesterday, the BOJ opted to remove the upper limit to its purchases of bonds, and next up is the Fed. So, Mark, how grim have your figures been your side? I see we've got, what, first quarter GDP tomorrow, and should we expect anything new from the FOMC? Well, I guess that was a pretty good description of uh, lumping together all the words we're tired or we're running out of. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's um, it's colossal. And that, you know, that's a funny word because it has a bit of a, a, a humorous tone and you have to have a, a dark sense of humor to get much uh, of a laugh out of, out of what we're seeing is, uh, you know, a, a gigantic collapsing in economic numbers. But we just had con- uh, consumer confidence today. It came in in the mid-80s. It had broken down below 40 uh, 12 years ago in the financial crisis. So there is one report. Mm. Even though it's um, the current conditions went down um, um, uh, more than uh, double, uh, just went down in half. But there the theme is, and, and we're seeing this in, in sentiment surveys everywhere, is the separation between current conditions which is catastrophically low, and hope springs eternal. And people expect, and uh, I think reasonably so, that uh, things will begin to improve um, as the lockdowns ease. And they certainly, it'd be hard for them to get the conditions to become um, any worse. We're going to get GDP, as you mentioned. Uh, the economy consensus is minus 3.7%, which doesn't sound that bad. That would be at an annual rate. But that just reflects only one month and really not even a full month in March of uh, of the shutdown. So what that will then become into the second quarter will, is, of course, an unknown. It's still playing out. And then we're going to have employment um, a week from Friday. And uh, I don't know what – we don't have a consensus yet on that. The numbers are going to be, uh, you know, unprecedented. Have you got, have you got a you new know. word for that one? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, so, uh, yeah, we don't, you know, uh, I mean, where is unemployment going to go? Is it going to go into the 20% area? Is it going to approach the 30% of the Great Depression 100 years ago? Or is it, uh, and where is inflation going to go? We had an interesting number today in the consumer confidence. We had a, a large, significant spike in Inflation expectations. Now, this is an April report that includes the total collapse in the price of oil, let alone everything else. Maybe um, the consumers are just looking at what they're paying on Amazon or whatever 
for their uh, stockpiling, and prices seem to be going up. But that was a real surprise for me. Oh, I, yeah. So, I mean, to interrupt, that's interesting because it seems to be in quite sharp contrast to what we've seen in Europe. And we had, um, we're just taking the UK, we had the, the Confederation British Industries, a sort of survey of, re of a retail sector out earlier on this morning. And they found looking at internet sales, I mean, the first negative reading on that since the survey was first put together. Mm. And in the inflation numbers we had out last week, again, we actually saw the underlying weakness coming through. So it's quite interesting. We appear to have, you know, underlying deflationary pressures in Europe, but you're saying expectations your side of water is going the other way. Well, this is, yeah, this is just one reading and uh, it's a, a difficult one to uh, judge, but uh, we had Red Book today, which is a weekly um, same store, a chain store uh, indicator for, uh, it, it basically attracts uh, essentials, uh, basic goods, and it's sharply lower. It peaked out double, almost double-digit growth for a month as uh, people stocked up, and now it's coming down almost in the double digits. So um, so it does look like the retail sales are, are, are going to uh, go down. Of course, you know, there's going to be so many dislocations in the data, Jeremy. It's like are we, we had inventories today, and retail inventories shot up higher in March because of the close down of car dealers. And that uh, made for a big, huge build um, that's going to offset a big, huge um, draw at the wholesale level. So mm -hmm. um, it, the numbers are going to be hard to uh, to figure out. There is going to be odd cross currents and, and like these PMIs and the composite indexes. I just want to personally say that delivery times do not belong in the composite index, um, during the, uh, a crisis time like this, when you go back and you look back at these composites, um, they're not going to make sense. They're actually stable, or uh, the ISM, for instance, um, here in the U.S., uh, because of the gigantic spike in delivery times, which isn't a positive at all. It's you know, and um, so that's an example of um, of the kind of data confusion that we're going to be getting. Yeah, I think you're exactly right there. And I think particularly when we're looking at the likes of the PMIs, it's going to be, you know, obviously the current output measure, which gives you poor intents and purposes, mm -hmm. a respectable view, but also orders. Mm -hmm. But as you say, things to do with timings and such are going to be completely messed up now. Mm -hmm. um, anyway, what about the Fed? Is there anything expected at the FOMC this week? Is it all done? Well, you know, they uh, announced yesterday um, uh, increasing um, uh, support for the uh, muni market. Um, and, uh, what else can they really do? I'm a bit of a skeptic. I think that the value for the market moving value of central banks are in the past right now. They've pulled out all the stops, I guess, except for the ECB and uh, you did a write up, uh, on them, which was, uh, I found very interesting, but it's, um, and their lack of relative, um, of, uh, programs. Uh, but the Fed has done everything it possibly can, and, and I'm sure that they're going to give us some kind of uh, odd economic outlook, but it's hard to say what they're out, you know, what those outlook will be. But let me come back to the ECB now. Mm -hmm. um, you were stressing their, the comparative um, lack of, um, of support for the markets and banking. Um, however, if it, could it play into, the Europe, into Europe's advantage if – this uh, virus turns out to be, um, if we do have the easing lockups and we don't have 
a spike again in infection rates. The, could the ECB actually come out looking good? If that were to be the case, and I suppose it is certainly possible, but I think the general sense here is that although, as you mentioned, we do have some very cautious easings of uh, the restraints on people moving and uh, you know, restrictions and so on, but by and large, they tend to be uh, very narrowly based in terms of just certain types of retail areas, certain types of manufacturing. So in terms of actually trying to get the whole economy per se back to working again, that I think is still some way down the road. And, and even now, I think there are countries, the UK classically being one, also France to some extent as well, which are kind of looking over their shoulders at those countries which are already starting to relax the containment measures just to see what happens. And it's interesting because we've had some, again, very loose easing of restrictions in Germany, but we had some official data coming out of the um, Germany's Robert Koch Institute um, earlier on today. And this is looking at this, this so-called reproduction figure, which is the effect looks at you know, how many people one person with coronavirus might infect and the golden rule there is you want to get this number down below one because if it rises above one it means that one person can infect more than one person and if that continues for long then you're talking about exponential growth for the coronavirus um, in the case of Germany they thought they had it down to around about 0.7% if they can keep it down there ultimately it should mean the virus would be eradicated but according to the Koch Institute they think it's risen back up to one again now whether or not that was due to partial relaxation of the rules or you know, the restrictions last week or it's just nothing to do with that we don't actually know but i think you know it's the kind of message which sends to governments all around the world and angela merkel is still very keen on this uh, the, the, the relaxed re relaxation of these restrictions has to be very mild so in terms of the ecb I think it's highly unlikely that you know they'll be able to stop where they are now um, and, and think that's a done deal, particularly because, <clears throat> excuse me, in contrast to what's happening from your government, um, the European Union as a whole is still simply not delivering. So for just talking about the ECB, last Thursday, we had a meeting of the EU leaders and finance ministers, which were supposed to be getting down to the details of a, a package, an emergency package of measures worth at least a trillion euros and possibly more than that. In practice, as, as is often the case with these European leaders, they couldn't come out with a full agreement. The bottom line is that there are big differences between Italy, France and Spain who are proposing the use of grants to, find, to fund the bloc's economic recovery, while the, sort of the hawkish members like the Netherlands and Austria insist that these grants should only be in the form of loans. So ultimately, they came out really with nothing last week apart from agreements defer the next set of discussions until the summer but they just signed off on the april the 9th package which was you know worth 550 sorry 540 billion euros which is small fry compared to what the likes of the white house has been doing um so i think you know there's ultimately it leaves really the ecb with more pressure on them to come and try and make up for if you like the shortfall in the policy response from from european governments now i think going into thursday's meeting because the ECB did introduce two packages in March, although neither was really, I don't think, significant enough, you know, 
probably expectations for this for this particular Thursday aren't that much. But I think there is an underlying belief amongst investors that at this stage they simply haven't done enough. And when you look at what's happening to the Fed's balance sheet, which is almost going up in a straight line at the moment, yes. and what and what the ECB is doing with it, you've got to think there's an awful lot more the ECB could do if it wanted to. So I think we'll probably get some tinkering like with some of the targeted longer term repos and this sort of thing. But in mm. terms of another big package at this stage, no, but Yes, I think they will do something later on. Well, if okay, well, let me get back to my original question though. I, is if if there is not a catastrophic breakdown in um, a GDP in Europe, um, will this prove to be a net positive for the euro relative to that the lack of fiscal stimulus? And you were talking about the White House and, and uh, two point three trillion from the Fed. Um, these can't. It's hard for me to imagine these things being positive for uh, currency values. Uh, but the euro. I mean, it, uh, could it be? And let's say we get the, a very positive. If it's possible to get a very positive outcome out of this, um, is would the euro stand to gain? It may do. Well, I suppose my, my starting point would be that I think a positive outcome at the moment looks very likely. And just to put that into context, you're talking about um, what you have the your first look at first quarter GDP out of the states tomorrow. Mm -hmm. um, well, we get the, the so-called preliminary flash estimate of eurozone GDP for the first quarter on Thursday. So this is you know, their equivalent, their first look at it. And mm -hmm. um, where's your call? Was it down? Was it just over three percent? Three seven. Three seven. No, wait a minute. You well, just said. Annualized. But that's right. Annualized. That's annualized, right? Yeah. Um, now, you, you, but wait a minute. You, you, um, which one? You, you said likely, or and I thought you meant unlikely for um, the outlook. Positive. Yeah. Which outlook for the for for for, for outlook Europe? for Europe is still negative. I mean, the market call on first quarter GDP is down three point one percent as quarter on quarter. So you're talking at over twelve percent annualized rate to put it in U.S. terms. Mm -hmm. And interestingly, we had um, ECB President Lagarde. Now, it was she was allegedly quoted and hasn't been officially denied by the by the ECB that she could, on worst case scenario, because it's worst case, but it's part of their scenarios they're looking at now. Uh, she's talking about a possible contraction in total output in the eurozone this year of some fifteen percent, and that is a huge decline. The IMF, in its forecast, was only looking say only was looking for about down seven and a half percent. Remember rightly. So I think as things currently stand in Eurozone at the moment, um, it, it, it really doesn't look good. It's very hard to find any good news anywhere. So the hope has to be that these gradual easings of restrictions will allow output to start growing again. But it's going to be growing from such a low base that you know, the actual level of output itself is going to take probably, I suspect, a very long time to get back to where it was back in the last year. Well, let me ask you, I can't find any indications right now. We had the auto shutdown in the auto sector. We had the um, shutdown. We have the 737 Boeing um, failure, which is which pulled down durable goods by almost 15% in the month. But as far as the assembly, elbow-to-elbow uh, -elbow work in construction, elbow-to-elbow uh, -elbow work in manufacturing and these kinds of things, uh, I haven't really seen – I'm keeping my eyes open for a new – you know, a, a, a new paradigm or something on these uh, on these uh, activities. Um, are you seeing anything? I, I, I mean, it would be nice if we just had all robots, I guess. 
But well, <laughs> it may well be ultimately. Perhaps this is something which will push the drive towards, you know, the AI technology and so on. But no, I think on the whole, within Europe, so so much of industry and services has just been simply shut down. Mm-hmm. That so there's very there's very little good news to find anywhere. Apart and even then, you've got to be careful. You know, trying to find the equivalent of your expectations improvement. Well, last week I think we talked about ZEW, where we saw analysts becoming cautiously positive, at least about the outlook for Germany. But then um, back end of last week, we also had the, the latest EFO survey, and that, to all intents and purposes, was looking at record lows right across the board. Mm-hmm. So it, you know, it's hard at the moment, I think, within Europe to find even expectations which which are improving, bar the fact that, of course, as far as the stock market's concerned, I think they are taking you know, the, the long-term view that there's so much being thrown at the global economy mm-hmm. that at some point it's going to have to turn up. Well, you know, this reminds me, uh, there, there was you know, uh, the business press has a very lack of imagination when it comes to images. So if it's a trade story, they'll show you a, you know, a dock, you know, a, a crane or, or a container. And, uh, uh, and if it's a... Um, uh, oh, I'm sorry. I, 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 I pick it up right now. I lost my keyboard. Hang on. Um, uh, oh, it, it, so if you remember um, the t- the classic image of the stock market, where traders and this was image. These were images. I won't name the you know any of the news agencies uh, of the New York Stock Exchange. They were still clumped together in mid March. So you'd have a picture of, of traders looking puzzled with their hair all frizzled out and that kind of just every picture is exactly the same. Well, then one day in mid-March, you didn't see that picture anymore. They finally wised up that they, they can't all be clumped together yeah. like this. Yeah. Now, and that's what my whole point is with manufacturing and construction. Is there going to be a new way to do things? Now, I think part of the idea that our infection rates may be going down or won't be going up as much when easing is because everyone's uh, standing six feet apart. And uh, and so there's a new kind of a, a sensitivity to that, and maybe that will uh, help contain um, the virus. But the economy itself and the way things are done, the way goods are produced, um, I think will have to change. And that's going to be part of what we have to do. We're going to have to start, uh, you know, uh, paying attention to this, and, and and the manufacturers are going to start are going to have to start doing something. Otherwise. They're going to be like healthcare workers. They're going to be going standing in line somewhere, and a certain number of them are going to be getting sick, and um, and yeah. that's just you know. I think you're right. Yeah, in fact, we have to look at you know the latest you know, photos coming out of Wuhan, where you've got the workforce going back to work in some industries just wearing hazmat suits, you know, and even then standing however far apart as, as they regard it as being appropriate out there. So I mean, the bottom line to all this is is still that you know productive potential as we foresaw it in the past is is going to be nowhere near that in the future mm-hmm. until such times we actually get people properly back to work and be able to produce as, effect, as efficiently as they were before um, you know, economic growth is going to be that much less national incomes will be that much less and mm-hmm. so on and so forth yes. so it's going to be a very difficult time a structural change in, in 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 man's economy and let me just say something about the pmi now we're going to get the chinese um pmis for april kicks in beginning um the beginning of next week mm-hmm. and they uh, the economic data out of china was was um improved or it was it stabilized uh, from the collapse in uh, yep. january and february which gave us or, or you know hope that our pattern would be the same but um so we're going to get their april numbers now how big of an effect has the drop in europe and north america been on their economy 
So it, what do you think about that? It's got to be important, I think, if we go back to what the, um, the the global financial crisis. For some while, it looked as if Japan was actually going to do relatively well and out, outperform the other, if you like, you know, the G7 countries. So domestic demand seemed to, seemed to be doing all right and GDP was holding up that much better. But in the longer run, because Japan was so based and it was, still is so based upon export demand, as it started to see its markets drying up overseas, so then it got hit and it got here hit really badly um, and so in, in the end it turned out to be one of the worst performers of the lot and I think we're going to see the similar sort of thing in in China okay they've got potential domestic demand out there quite clearly because uh, the consumer sector is so big but nonetheless you know they're going to struggle to grow at anything like a decent rate if they can't export to the rest of the world because that's not growing mm-hmm. oh and okay now let's turn to the financial markets and we've seen this incredible rally in the stock markets. However, if we, if we remember back in September here in the U.S. Um, and the liquidity scare in the repo market um, mm-hmm. and, and the lack of, of, uh, of lending, um, and the Fed, I think, put in something like $400 uh, uh, um, a, a billion dollars at least in, into the, um, into the uh, banking system. And that was essentially, uh, or that helped, or there is the argument within the Fed that this money ended up in the stock market. Now, is what we're seeing now, um, with all this global liquidity, just ending up again in the stock market, driving up, uh, driving up values, and is this a possible danger? Well, I think the answer has to be yes. And at the end of the day, if you look around the world and see how much domestic demand there is, well, let's be honest, there isn't a great deal of it. So this liquidity is clearly going somewhere. Now, some of it will probably end up back back at the central banks being parked there by the, the private sector institutions as we saw previously. Um, but I think, yes, a lot of it's got to go into, well, excuse me, some of it's going into the bond market. I know we've had wobbles in the bond market, but some of it's almost certainly going there. But I think a good chunk of it must be going into these equities. And we go back to the case, well, Perhaps if you believed when you had um, you know, the, before the, the 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 crash that we've had so far this year, um, prior to that, that perhaps equity markets were already rather overcooked in terms of where the fundamentals lay. Well, you've got to think now, how given how far they've come back from the low, but what's going to happen now to the fundamentals? Well, it's looking increasingly frothy. So I think at some point it does seem that these things are going to come down. But that may well be in the future, you know, somewhere in the future, simply because there's so much money out there sloshing around, you know, trying to find an asset somewhere. Mm-hmm. And when you've got interest rates negative almost everywhere now, where's it going to go? Well, how about the UK housing market? What's your thought on that? Well, the UK housing market was doing well after we had the December general election. Um, the numbers from the surveys for what uh, January and February and to some extent even March actually looked half respectable and it did look as if the UK housing side was starting to turn around quite nicely. The problem is now, as the lenders themselves are admitting, effectively the government's come out and really asked people, don't move. Uh, basically don't move at the moment until this coronavirus is sorted out, or at least until conditions you know, improve a lot, which means the lenders aren't lending anything. There's no transactions going through. So you talked earlier about you know, trying to interpret the data. Well, mm. in many ways, the UK housing market, there isn't any data anymore because what no is one's that, moving anymore. What does that mean for prices? Are they going to hold steady? Are they going to go down? 
well prices i think no one really knows what is that what is a house price at the moment the answer is well we don't know because no one's bought or sold a house so i mean ultimately i dare say there'll be pent-up demand which may help to push prices up but in terms of you know where we actually stand at the moment no one really knows because there's no data to actually price off in the first place well let's hope the data keeps coming out uh uh, you had a, a scare, the Italian business and uh, consumer uh, report by ISTAT. It was uh, delayed. Is that right? It was. That's right. Due to the coronavirus, apparently they're unable to actually compile the data. I think, as I understand, at the moment, ISTAT are just maintaining it. That was only for April. And they hope to have the figures of the surveys up and, up and running again uh, for next month. But clearly, this may be you know, a warning shot across the bowels and it could well be a taste of the kind of things we have to come. Of course, for financial markets, it's particularly bad news simply because the surveys come out so far in advance of the hard data themselves. And they really look at at those, you know, like the PMIs, to try and judge what the heck is going on. Uh -huh. Well, we haven't seen any any actual cancellations of any data here in the U.S. Um, the regional reports, uh, for instance, um, you know, the Kansas City Fed or mm -hmm. the um, or the Richmond Fed, um, their samples are small to begin with, 100, 200. Um, it could be, and you know, and the uh, Census uh, Bureau keeps telling uh, in their uh, paragraph introducing their reports for the last month that in businesses, you know, there's lack of contacts, businesses are, are shuttering. Um, and so it makes me wonder, we're seeing all this volatility in these uh, other numbers, including uh, the P, oh, uh, this includes all the PMIs, um, and also the uh, some of the sentiment surveys as well that aren't telephone sampled and aren't in the thousands. I mean, there is a risk. No one's canceled their reports yet, except for the one we just mentioned. Um, but you have to wonder, I mean, it, it will, they don't tell, you know, they just say, you know, it, it passes our uh, minimum or our requirement. Uh, for what data quality sh and qu mm -hmm. quantity quantity should be, they don't tell you what exactly that means. But you know, is there going to come a time? I don't know. Maybe it never will if we reopen that, um, and the data will will continue to come out. But uh, th that's something to keep. Uh, an eye out for it. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. I'd say if, if this thing runs on, then you've got to think the quality and reliability of data is going to be a major issue. And it wouldn't surprise me at all if it gets to the stage whereby you know some traditional let's say monthly economic reports are simply no longer produced so that you know more focus can be attached to the ones that you know the policymakers were regarded as being the most important uh -huh. but they could not put out a u.s employment report even if no they well i think their, that's state, they, their their minimum requirements that i mean they would just have to estimate it right but now. perhaps for example they might not put out a u.s ppi report or something like that so yeah. I, I, I don't know who knows all righty. Okay. Well, I suppose we've spoken quite a lot about numbers. It's probably about time we called it an end, end into it all there. One thing I will say in terms of looking at these numbers, we had um, a bit like your side. We had UK March retail sales out last week, which, surprise, surprise, saw a record 5.1% monthly um, decline. But within that, uh, alcohol consumption was up 30% on the month. <laughs> and as a beer drinker, I'd like to think I'm doing my bit to keep that there side of the industry going. That's right. prices up. <laughs> okay, that's it for today then. Mark and I will be back next week and joining us will be our Sydney-based economist, Brian Jackson, who will provide an update on developments on his part of the world. So do, do join us then. And in the meantime, thanks very much for listening. And remember to keep up to date with all the key data and events in Econoday's global economic calendar. We'll see you next week. Bye for now. <laughs>